We are doing Parsha's Noah. So it's interesting. It's funny that you asked. It's actually a two-letter word, and there's a you can actually spell Noah. Speaking about Hebrew, with seven mistakes. Okay. But Noah is actually Nun and a Chet. Noah, that's it. I told you this. She doesn't trust you. Just to take another opinion. So we are at Parshas Noah, and I hope this doesn't ruin the story for anybody. But there's a big flood. (laughs) Shocking, but true. But there's a really big flood. Right? Now you know. So I spoil the story. There's like people who ruin the movie for you right here. Um, Right, exactly. Okay. So here we are, Parsha's Noah. The majority of, the, of our Parsha is actually going to deal with the flood, the preamble, the postamble, blah, 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 blah. We're going to really obviously talk about that. I want to skip for a second to the seventh Aliyah because somehow you never get to the end. It's like it's, there's just so much going on over here. Um, let me just find it. Where does it start? The seventh Aliyah is... Whoever finds it first, give me a chapter and a verse. Oh, this is six. Could be chapter 11. Chapter 11. We're going with chapter 11. Yeah, chapter 11. Page 49. Page 49. I'm so used to, we were just doing like 11D75 and now it's not. Okay, so the, uh, the, the last thing that's going to be dealt with in this Parsha, which we're not going to get into right now, is the whole story of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel is going to happen over here at the end. It's a short, odd story um, that talks about the people looking for some kind of maybe security. The Mepharshim have a whole kind of conversation about what is going on over here. Um, are they afraid that the sky is going to fall in every 1,656 years? Like, what's the deal going on over here? Is there a place of self, uh, building of self, uh, and, and taking away from God and God's involvement. Anyway, they, this is where, uh, the, this is the story that we have over here. This is the first instance that we have of bricks, of Levanum, bricks being made, meaning as opposed to taking stone, which is a God material. They're making their own bricks. They're doing their whole tower situation. And what is the end of their, their, what is the end of their story? What happens then to the people at the Tower of Babel? They get, they, right. They, so it says, Hashem says he's going to split them up and they're going to all speak different languages. And the question is, does he change their languages and therefore that causes them to split because they don't understand each other anymore? Or is there some sort of like poof and they're someplace else and, you know, the more likely situation that he changed all their languages and then they naturally gravitated to different places to whatever. I just wanted to mention it because I just find we somehow very often don't get to that part of the Parsha. Um, the one item that we have before the Tower of Babel is, no, it's after the Tower of Babel. We have the generations, just like we had at the end of Barathees. We had the generations from Adam to Noah. From here, we're going to have the generations from Noah till Avram. Okay, at this point, he's going to be called Avram. And that's where generations going on here, and that's pretty much... And that was 10 generations? Ten. Again, it's going to be ten generations. What's the related? Uh, what? Who's related? Noah. Well, everybody's related to Noah. 
Right? Everybody's related to Noah. Um, so that's our before before the story of the Tower of Babel, we have the generations, and the, the end did we have this story of Terah, who has this child called Avram, and he takes his children and he starts to move away from where he was. And we're gonna talk about Avram next week. Um, one thing I do want to say before we kind of as we're starting is that today's Hayom Yom, for anybody who's interested and in, into Hayom Yom, Hayom Yom is a book of teachings by the Law of Trevor. It's actually the only book that he, he wrote. And the Hayom Yom for today talks about the saying of the Alter Rebbe, of the first Chabad Rebbe, that you have to live with the times, and that means to live with the Torah portion of the week. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, we're learning Parsha today. And that's the Hayom Yom, so yay. That's all, I just wanted to mention it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what do we have? We have, these are the generations of Noah. We're going to start talking about Noah. How does the Torah describe Noah? Chapter 6, verse 9. Lily, start reading. These are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Go. Keep going, yeah. Noah had begotten three sons. Shem, By the way, we don't use begotten too often in modern terminology. We should bring it back. Um, Noah had begotten three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yeah, Japheth, or Yafet in Hebrew. Okay, and what happens? Now the earth had become corrupt before God, and the earth had become filled with robbery. Okay, so it's interesting that, uh, because when you deal with the article, they, tra- put the, they put Rashi very often into the, into the conversation. Rashi actually translates it, and talks about that the world, the earth was totally corrupt and totally terrible. Talks about a world that was involved in murder and idolatry and adultery and all the kind of stuff. What is the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak? Robbery. Once the people don't respect each other's property and each other's things, that's really where Hashem's like, this is not happening. Now, I want to back up for a second. And I want to, we're going to talk about Noah for a little bit. Because um, Noah's a, he's like, he's like, on one hand, he's like complicated. I think he's like complicated, possibly. Right? On the one hand, we have Torah describing him as, in Hebrew, tzaddik, tamim. Those are very, very powerful words. We don't use that expression often. You know, we don't have people, you know, God's not bandying that, those words around. And this is God's word. This is Torah saying, Noah was Sadiq and Tamim. And, um, and then we have uh, Rashi, then we have Bedor Tav, which Lily, as you pointed out, was in his generations. Um, and Rashi says, uh, Bedor Tav, what does that mean? What does that mean in his generations? So Rashi, bringing from the Gemara, brings two different explanations. One is a positive explanation. One is a negative explanation. One is a positive that even in his generation where everyone is so terrible, he was so good, yay. And the other negative is like, eh, compared to his generation, he was a good guy, you know? Um, and, and, and it's interesting. And then we want to know, like, why does Rashi feel a need to bring um, a negative interpretation? Right? What, what, what are we gaining? Meaning, one of the things we spoke about last week is that Torah is in a storybook, Torah is in a history book, Torah is a book of lessons and we're supposed to learn something. So when Rashi's going to bring, which is, you know, kind of like he, Rashi's obviously commentary in Torah, when Rashi's going to bring two explanations, we want to know what is this going to teach us and what are we learning from Noah being this, you know, even the sages are, confl- are, are conflicted about how do they look at him. Like, is he, like an awesome person in spite of his generation or he's only, you know, because of, because of what he is. 
And one of the things that the, the Therebi talks about is both of them have, there are advantages to both of those qualities. The negative quality is also, a, is also an advantage and it's something for us to learn. On the one hand, when we say that he was a generation, sorry, he was a tzaddik, he was righteous in spite of his generation, that's for us obviously a very clear lesson. That it doesn't matter what's going on around us, we have the ability to be who we are, um, who to be who we are, and not worry about. Wouldn't that be nice if we didn't worry about what other people thought about us or said about us or or how they were behaving, right? Um, and the other place of the comparison is saying like, but where do where where did Noah fall short? Where did he fall short? And and not as far as highlighting for him, but as far as highlighting for us is our, the lesson for us, is it just we need to be better than the people around us, which is the first explanation. We just have to be better than the people around us to do it. Or is there an empirical truth that we're aiming for? And the second explanation is saying like, change generations and he wouldn't have been so, ay 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 is sort of telling us that it's not enough to just be better than the people around us. That's, that's a big thing. I want to not knock that. If we could live in a, in a generation, shockingly enough, that is not so moral and not so positive and not, I can't imagine where we would ever find any of these things, right? Not so kind and loving and forgiving and generous and still be all those things, that would be very nice. But the, but the bigger question that Noah is first asking us to reflect for ourselves is, is, it, is it only enough to be better than them? Or is there a higher truth that I need to aim for for myself? Um, and it's interesting that the Zohar talks about Noah in comparison to three people. Because Rashi, Rashi here brings over here, if you're looking inside, that if he would have been in the generation of Avraham, he, wouldn't have been, he, would have been, he would not have been counted as anything. That's what Rashi brings over here. The Zohar actually brings, he compares Noah to three, the Zohar compares Noah to three different Torah personalities. Avraham is one, Moses is the second, and David is the third. And he says he, w- he wouldn't have been as great as those. And so then the Rebbe's like, wait a second, wh- why are we drawing this comparison? What is the comparison between Noah and these other people? And there's a certain place where Noah has the first steps, honestly, of all of those three. Okay? What's the, what's the quality of Avraham? Avraham stands up. He's called Avraham Ivri. The whole world is on one side, and he's on the Avraham He's on the other side. Avraham was a person who was able to look at the whole world and say, I don't care what you're doing. That's not what I'm doing. That's not the truth. And he was able to fight for the truth, regardless of what was going on around him. Noah had the same thing. Noah was, in his generation, he was able to say to everybody else, that's not what we're doing. Okay, Moses, what do we know about Moses? What's his biggest quality? Who's Yes, but I'm saying as far as for us. Like a leader? A leader. He gives us the Torah, right? And the Torah is the first place that we're being given a mandate to impact the world around us. Abraham did a lot of impacting the world around him, obviously, also. But the place of us being given that ability to transform the world and to, and to sort of spread out a, a, a message from God, that's something that Moses is, we, we really get from Moses through the Torah, and there was a place where Noah was given the mandate to tell people about what was happening. We're like, 
we're, we didn't get to all the psukim, but like we know this is what's going to happen. He's going to be given this mandate to help the world around him as well, to have this responsibility to the world around him as well. We'll talk about how well he did or didn't do about that. But that's a different conversation. But he was given that mandate in, its, in, a, in a form. And then what is, who comes from King David? We're still waiting. Mashiach. Mashiach. And when Mashiach comes, everything is peaceful and everything is wonderful. And Noah did tap into that. Right, because we know that in the ark, Hasidus talks about the idea that within the the ark it was messianic. There was this place of peace and and tranquility, and everything that was going on in the ark was a taste of that. Now it wasn't enough to transform the world; it was enough to in the ark have that space. So we look at Noah almost as like the the first step in all of these next steps that's going to happen within the Jewish you know within Jewish history and please God to the end step that we're looking forward to very soon <coughs> but one of the things that 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 we're talking about as well is that it's not enough to do it like Noah did it Noah did it like in the the first steps of all of those projects but now that after Noah, we've had an Avraham, we've had a Moses, we've had a David, we have to now, the way we, we need to up our game and not say, well, I'm doing it as well as Noah did it, like that, that was good then. But since then, we've, we as a world have progressed and developed a little bit more, and therefore, he started it, but that's not like where we're aiming for a little bit. So I wanted to talk about Noah a little bit. We're going to talk about him a little bit more. Okay, so what does Hashem say to Noah? Verse 13. Aviv, go. Um, Hashem said to Noah, the end of all flesh will come before me, where the earth is filled with robbery through them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them from the earth. Okay, so he's, I'm gonna, give me the next verse, and then we're going to skip a little bit. Um, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, make the ark with compartments, and cover it inside and out. Okay, now, and he's going to continue to give all different kinds of directions. And he said, this length and this height and this many floors, and it has to have a room on the top. And, yeah? He's pitched hard. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's 480 when he starts this project. He's 480 years old when he starts this project. Okay, and then in verse 17, Hashem says, I'm going to bring this marble, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going, to send, I'm going to start up my covenant again with you and take all the animals, blah, 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 blah. How long did it take for One second. We're going to get there in a second. And verse 22, Aviv, what is Noah's response to God? Um, Noah did, did according to everything Hashem commanded him, so he did. So he did it. What do we not see here? Questions? Questions? Complaining, arguing, arguing protesting, really, Bargain. really, huh? Bargaining. Bargaining, like this is all. These are all things we're going to see really soon, right? These are things that we're familiar with with other leaders. There is a place that, and one of the things that we see from Noah again back into that complicated conversation, you could do all the right things. He did whatever God said, <coughs> and somehow. It just wasn't what God was actually looking for almost, right? What does God say? God says to him, make this project deletion. What do you ask me? How long did it take to do it? To make the, to make the, um, to make the, the ark. ark. So it's interesting. There's a whole conversation. How long does it take him to make the ark? 
one of the things that the commentaries highlight is that Hashem says to him, make an ark for yourself. And a lot of the commentaries say that that means that everything that went into that ark, Noah had to own. That means, according to one of the Midrashim, first Noah planted trees, that he tended a forest, that he grew into tall trees because he needed very long, um, very long wood, pieces of wood to make, uh, to make the ark. So he had to, so according to the Midrashim, obviously his other interpretations are, but it, but one of the things we said, it all had to, he had to own everything. And then he planted a forest and he cut down the forest and then he had to learn how to make pitch and tar and he had to learn how to build and he had to learn how to do everything. He had to do it all by himself. It took years probably. It took a lifetime. It took 120 years for him to build the boat. And what was the point of him taking that long to build the boat? Rashi says over here. Um, I know, I'm just trying to find... Um, okay, look at the Rashi of uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Aselecha teva at gopher, right? Make yourself this teva of, gof- of gopher wood. You might not have clear Rashi's in that. Page 31. In that Chobosh, I'm sorry. Okay? So, so then the question comes up. Rashi says, God has many ways to save him. Why does he have to bother him? Why did he bother him for this construction? And this is one of the things where, the, where if he, Rashi's kind of hinting to that medrash of he had to plant the trees and, ch- you know, he's, a, he's 480 years old. So even if, like, he's going to live to 800 and something years, it's still a very, you know, it's a big portion of your time and he's going to be engaged in doing change, like, you know, his midlife, his midlife crisis. He started planting trees and then he started cutting them and they started, all these is going to take 120s. Why does Hashem bother him? Hashem could have saved him in so many ways. Let's all, let's think about this for a second. I'm, I'm going to close, I'm going to pause this for a second. I'm going to, say, I'm going to open up another bracket here. Later on, we're going to read about the, about the Mabel. We're going to hear that the flood had torrential rains from above and from below for 40 days. The rain was like geysers coming from on top and from below for 40 days. After that, there were 150 days of stormy water. I know you're doing this part of this in the mind mode, but 150 days of stormy water. How strong a boat could he have built that was going to withstand that? Can we agree that perhaps there was a lot of part miracle keeping that thing afloat. As much as you're going to build it, and you're going to make the pitch, you're going to make the tar and the whole shebang, it wasn't being held up on his efforts. So Rashi's like, so why bother at all? Why don't you just like make a little force field or a bubble or zap him out and bring him back in? Like, why make him go through this effort of the construction, which is going to be extremely laborious, extremely... It's going to take a long time. The Mepharsha talked about the idea that one of the reasons it took him so long was because he kept getting sick from the, from the tar. Imagine the, you know, 300 amas long, an amas between 18 and 24 inches. It's very long. He's working by himself. He's inside. The fumes, you know, he was physically getting sick from it. So Rashi says, why bother him? Right? Hashem could do so many ways to save. At the end of the day, Hashem's going to basically be holding that boat afloat anyway. So what difference does it make? Why? What does Rashi say? Does anybody actually have Rashi? Or you have, I don't think it's going to have, have clear Rashi. Has, has it in Rashi? Do you regret it? Okay, so it's not a question. It's 14. We have yeah? Isn't this where it says... Kadesh Yeruhu? Go. Isn't this where it's saying that 
Exactly. No, exactly. So Rashi says, so people should see him doing it for 120 years, and they'll say to him, what are you doing? And he will say to them, in the future, God is going to bring a, a flood. Perhaps they will repent. So the whole ark building situation was to make sure that other people could hear it and see it. And one of the things that the Mepharshim talk about is that there were so many different stages of what he had to do to build the boat that I'm not interested in this part. This doesn't make me curious, but there's got to be something that's going to go on in the whole process that's going to spark people's curiosity. Like, I'm not interested, I'm not so curious about why you're planting all these trees, but I am curious about why you're cutting them down. I am curious why you're now making fish. Like, there's going to be something in the process that's going to be a conversation starter. So even if we want to say Noah was shy and it was hard for him to approach people and all those things which are totally legit, Hashem is giving him opportunities to open up the conversation where somebody will come over to him and say to him, hey Noah, what are you doing? Now, you got to think, like, there's got to be a part where it's, it's, you know, tilting at the windmills, like, you know, like, Nobody's, he, there's a part where he doesn't believe anybody's going to listen to him. They're not going to, either they're not going to listen to him or they're not going to listen to the message. We'll see, I'll show you in a second. But like, all the way through, how effective was he at his job? He made the boat. He made the boat. Who did he convince to come on the boat with him? He's yeah. 120 years. He's working on this project. He didn't get one non-family member on the boat with him. So the animals. <laughs> the animals. But as far as people, there is a whole world of people that with all his efforts, he couldn't do anything. Yeah. Was he allowed to take someone else except his family with him? The the point was, the point was, Hashem was saying to him, this is what the Mufarshim talk about, the commentators talk about this. Why have this whole conversation of a boat before we have a conversation about a flood, right? Hashem doesn't say, I'm going to bring a flood, therefore we need a boat. He's like, build a boat, we're going, to build, we're going to have a flood. The point was, can we get enough people to change their behavior so that there is no need for a flood? So there is no need for the boat. Let's get into this amazing you know, campaign of like tshuva and people will actually change and then history would be different. The whole story would have been different. But, you know, when we look back at this story, we're like, oh, that's how it was meant to be. But let's look at it from the first part of the story. What is Torah trying to teach us? First of all, Hashem is never, ever telling us, ever, it's okay to worry about yourself. You first have to worry about yourself. But that's never, it's never good enough. It's very interesting. I, one of the, I forgot who said it. I was, my husband, I was with my husband this morning to... So he's talking about that Noah's going to bring into the ark. Um, what does he have to bring with him? He has to bring, uh, he has to, in uh, chapter 6, verse 19, right? He's going to bring from all the animals, bring two of each, a male and a female, right? Um, and then later on, Hashem's going to take him to bring of the ones that are kosher, okay, here, uh, chapter 7, sorry, chapter 7, verse 2. Mikola behema tahora, tikach lecha sheva sheva. 
from the kosher animals, you're going to bring seven, seven pairs, okay? Um, and, and they, pre-flood, by the way, they were all vegetarians, so they didn't eat animals before. Killing an animal before the flood was exactly like killing a person. Um, give me one second. And then, um, but for the, the animal that is not kosher, um, you bring one, a male and a female. One of the, like one of the Hasidic Rebbe's talks about the idea that, like, what is a non-kosher animal? I only think about me and my wife, me and my spouse, me and my spouse. That's all I'm worried about. That's like a non-kosher animal attitude. What's a kosher animal attitude? Seven, seven. You bring, you bring up seven of each. And in, in halacha, there are seven immediate relatives that a person has. There's a, there's a mother and a father and a sister and a brother and a son and a daughter and a spouse, right? So that's seven. So that a, a kosher animal is one that is concerned about themselves and their family. So like Noah is a kosher animal. But there's, kosher. Correct. But they're still an animal. They haven't elevated themselves to the place of people. That the place of a person is where you have to worry about not just is my family going to be okay, not just will I be okay, but what is my responsibility to the greater, to the greater call, to the greater, I don't know how to say call in English, like to everybody else. Now, we're, Noah is going to do incredible, incredible stuff. So the world as, maybe not as we know it is because of him, because we've made a lot of progress since his days, but the world as an existing factor is all because of him. On board with on board the 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 ark, he brings he brings the animals, he brings plants, he brings seeds, he brings the the, the future of vegetation. Everything's going to be with him. So the fact that when the flood is over and they're able to come out and repopulate the world, that's going to be thanks to Noah. The only thing that he doesn't bring onto the boat are the fish, because the fish never sinned. So the fish had no the fish had no uh, no punishment. Um, oh, what happens to them anyways? What in the water? If, you know, if, like, yeah, he could like elect- electrocute them all. I don't know. Right, 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 right. But the point and the but point of the fish is that they didn't sin, and there's a special blessing on them, and that, that that's why they talk about the differences. Some of the people like to postulate that there's more exotic kinds of fish than there are exotic kind of animals because they never were killed in the in the in the flood. So we have more things, species that we don't have after the flood. All this kind of stuff going on. Amber, sorry, your question. Yeah, how Chapter and verse, or else I'm not going to know what you're talking about. Uh, seven, maybe? How okay. would you know, like, how would he have known what a kosher animal is? So Rashi says, he, he, he says, the animals that would in the future be kosher, which means that he had to learn Torah. So he was told before he, he, was he had, got Torah what a kosher animal was. I want to say another thing, which is very interesting. Just Stam is a interesting, how do you actually fill the ark? Noah did not go out and collect the animals. The animals came to the ark. They were all, so there's a part that he has to be involved in, and Rashi says that the ones that would in the future be kosher, but the Mepharshim will tell us, he, how's he going to go all across the whole world and collect all the animals? But all the animals sort of came, and like, which two beers make it on the, on, the, on the ark? Which two of anything make it on the ark? That was going to be something that Hashem was going to have it organized and have them come up. Okay? Tangent about fish? Yes. There's freshwater and saltwater species, so they would have needed, like... Being taken care of. Yeah. So, like, they could have needed to be on the ark. That's, like, proof that they could have needed them, and they didn't need them because they were... Because they were protected. Yeah. 
I'll buy that. Um, um, so they're on. They're on the. They're on the ark. What do we got? Okay. First of all, I want to say something that the ark is three hundred amas long. So an ama, it's a halachic measurement. That's like a male arm. So how much does that translate to? Uh, like I said, it's between 18, most people go between I think, 18 and 24 inches for how long that is. Now, if you tell me how many centimeters is, I don't know. You're going to have to ask Google. You're going to have to ask Google. I don't know. Um, it's going to be 50 amas wide and it's 30 amas high. And each amas is going to be, and then there's going to be three floors. Three floors. So each ama, each floor, I'm going to say it's going to be 10 amas. So if an ama is 18 inches, that's like a yard. No. It's a foot and a half. 18 is a foot and a half. 18 is a foot and a half. So 10 amas would make it... We have the measurements in feet. Huh? Oh, we have measurements in feet. Okay. Yeah, the arc was 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. Okay. I that centimeters and meters. That's Google. That's a Google question. It's not so hard to figure out. Um, it sounds big, but it's actually not very big. It's not very big for what it needs to be, you know? Um, especially because you can't get off. You can't get off in the middle and say, yeah, I'm going to just... Go to the bathroom. Huh? Where are they going to go to the bathroom? So they have... There's, there was a, one of the floors was supposed to be for waste and for storage. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have the animals at one and the people on the top. The whole thing is... It must have stung. <laughs> you know, um, I think... I think... <laughs> This is my own take on the situation. That um, when your life is being saved in the middle of vast destruction, the smell is going to be the least of your worries. Especially if you're not seasick for like 150 days of it. Of oh, it, Shelly. Well, I hope they weren't seasick. That would have been another level of, 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 of pleasure. Like, so it's interesting that the Kabbalah discusses that the inside, the inside of the ark was messianic. All these animals in close quarters who should have been killing each other, um, there was something about that space that created harmony. Hmm. So we're going to have to go out on a limb and say that somehow they weren't all throwing up and seasick all over, all over the place because that would have been like another level of pleasure that would have yeah. <laughs> sort of... I have a question. If yes. people were vegetarian, maybe animals also were like vegetarians or we know hmm. that they weren't um, we know, we know that Cain was afraid of the animals killing him. So there is that part of it. Um, how much did animal, uh, personality change after the flood? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. Um, uh, okay. And then, okay, this will make your R, blah, 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 bring them in. I want to share something with you, okay? You know how you could take, like, in Torah, you could take, like, a line and read it again and again and get different stuff going on? Okay, so in chapter 7, which is Shani, Hashem says to Noach, Bo atav el You and your whole family go into the ark, because I saw that you're, a ch- you're righteous in this generation, Okay? And, um, uh, no, that's not the verse that I need. Sorry. Ha, ha, ha. They're going into the ark. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
Okay. Uh, in chapter, okay, so, uh, so chapter 7, verse 7, so Noah and his, and his sons and his wife and his daughters-in-law go into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Yeah? You see where you are? Yeah. Huh? Nowhere. Chapter 7, verse 7. Oh. Okay? So the first thing that we're going to, that, that Rashi is going is gonna to show us that Nohubanav, that we had the men and the women were separated in the ark at a time of great tragedy. Uh, they had to be separate. They had to, they couldn't, they couldn't, I guess, find comfort and intimacy when the whole world was being destroyed. It was not appropriate for them to just have their comfort over there. Um, so that was one thing. So they come in, Noah and his sons and his wife and his, the wives of his sons, which in shorter English is his daughters-in-law. Okay. And then, Mipnei Mehamabal, because of the waters of the Mabal. So Rashi says, that's kind of like, what does that mean, Mipnei Mehamabal? What does it mean from the waters of the, they, Hashem said go into the ark. So why are you telling me they went into the ark because of the water of the flood? So Rashi says, Af Noach Mikatnei Noach was also um, one of those people, after all of that, of little faith. Maimon, the Ainer Maimon, He believed, but he didn't really believe that the, that the flood was actually, actually going to come. And he did not go into the Teva, did not go into the ark, until the water sort of forced him in. This is what Rashi says. Okay? Which is like. Makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense, but it's not super. I mean, showed him to me and said, it's going to be a flood. Yeah, 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 okay. If Hashem came to you and said there was going to be a flood, I, I, first, I would say, first of all, we'll get you some medication. But besides that, but besides that, I think there is a, you know, when we can't even imagine what it is to actually have Hashem have communication with us directly where we don't really feel like we should go for the closest psychi- psychiatric ward. Like, like, we don't even know what that means. But I would like to believe that if we actually did get that revelation, we would be able to, like, not try and sit and be like, mm, rationally, that doesn't make sense. Right, I, I, feel, I, I would like to believe that after everything that like we've gone through, our history and the learning that we've done, we were like, yeah, God, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm on board, whatever, let's do it. Bobble, can you imagine like 120 years, Noah's talking about this Bobble, weather's gorgeous, he has this massive ark in his, you know, his front yard, and everybody has to like get around it every time they want to come in and talk to his wife or something and have coffee, like... So, so Rashi's, Rashi is giving us a very rational shot. And that's saying, listen, there was a place that, even with everything, he didn't really believe it was going to happen. So the, I think it was the Rupturester says that you have to put, the punctuation is wrong in the Rashi. Okay? And he says that, that Noah had faith in those of little faith. He did not believe that the, the flood would actually happen. He really believed that all those people who were scoffing at him for 120 years, at the end of the day, they were going to pull it together. Like, he didn't believe that it was really going to happen. Not that he didn't believe that the flood was going to happen, but he didn't believe that the people wouldn't actually do it, yeah. that they wouldn't actually believe. So he had faith in the people who didn't have faith, and he didn't believe the mob was ever going to happen. He was like, oh, okay. Right? Got that second one? Yes. Okay. The second one is that he didn't believe... All those people who were not believing, he didn't believe that, that, that their not belief was real. He didn't believe the mob was going to happen. He figured, for sure, for sure. And Rashi tells us that the water starts coming down as gentle rain. And it was like, last chance, guys. 
Anybody want to like change your mind about how you think about this behavior business until it, 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 it is actually isn't like nobody's moving in and then it starts to get harder and more to it, you know, and then he comes and then, and then he gets forced into the, into, um, into, he gets forced into the ark. And Rebbe Levi has one more explanation, which I think for us, maybe not for us, but for me, it was such a powerful thing when I saw it. He didn't believe in himself. He was, he had small faith in himself. He didn't believe anybody was going to listen to him. He didn't believe he was going to make a difference. So he did what Hashem said, but he didn't actually believe it was going to have an impact. And because he didn't believe that he was able to have an impact, he wasn't actually able to have an impact. And when I heard that, it took my breath away. I was like, how many times are we afraid to step into something because nobody's going to listen anyway? Why should we say anything? Nobody's going to listen anyway. And yet, is that in fact a reason not to try? And, and to me, it was... Yeah, I just... <laughs> I have another question about this. Yes. So if Noah didn't really believe it was going to happen, he went to the last minute, like, what stopped the other people from just barging on? Right, so the Medrash so talks about that. The Medrash talks about that the marble starts in the middle of the day, and, and Rashi brings from the Medrash that the people who didn't actually believe that this was going to happen were like, let him try to get onto that ark without us, and we're going to you know, make sure that doesn't happen. And Hashem, Medrash says, put a line of lions and bears around the ark to protect them. So maybe, I, I guess yeah, they, I guess, I guess, I, I guess that answers the question. I guess that was the question. Just, yeah, yeah, they had, they put the lines and the bears around so that nobody could. I just made me misunderstood like when it was chronically. No, 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 you're quite, like, even until I said this now, I also didn't hear your question. I didn't, I didn't get it to answer your question. We were, we were both there. So yes, there was definitely, Hashem was making sure that this was going to happen. That this ark was going to get on, and you know, I guess everybody else was on board already. He wasn't waiting. It wasn't like the last minute, but for him and his family to actually get on board, it was going to take some time. And I, I want to give us a bracha that we not be afraid, that we believe in ourselves, that we believe in our ability to make change, that we believe in our ability to be a voice that uh, that can be reckoned with. It doesn't have to be a loud, shouting, screaming voice, but even when we talk in a calm, soft voice. It should be a voice that if we believe in the power of our voice, then our voice will be heard. So I want to give us a bracha that we believe. We believe. Because, or else the whole world is lost. Um, yes? It almost seems not entirely fair that all of these people died then, it's like, depending on how you, you read it with Noah, whether like, because he, he is the one that received this message. Correct. It doesn't say that he gave it to other people. And then even if it's like, if he doesn't believe in himself to do that, if he doesn't believe in the message itself, he's going through the motions, but not doing the actual outreach. I almost wonder if like... Can we people, blame people for not hearing it? Yeah, and not having like the full opportunity to do shuva. So I, I hear what you're saying. My only answer would be... Like, 
over 120 years, you had to get into a fabrangan with somebody over the over the, the nails or whatever they were building the boat with. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no way with the the worst, you know, the worst communication skills and the worst marketing skills, the word has to get around. And without WhatsApp, the word has to go around. Did you see this crackpot with the boat in his in his in his courtyard? Like, you got so go check it out. Go see. It. Like, even with little effort, and 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 I. I believe he, you know, clearly, in the, and the Torah talks about it. They call it May Noach. We call we we blame we do blame him for the flood to a certain degree, but I think that when we hear truth, we should sometimes be able to hear it, even if it isn't given to us in a dynamic fashion. But if he didn't believe it, then if he is going to be conveying it, he's going to be conveying it as someone who doesn't believe. So, so are you so, so are the, you really getting the full truth then? No. So the question is, and and this is one of the things that we talk about a lot. It, is it that he didn't actually believe or like there's a place inside that's disbelieving mm-hmm. as opposed to not believing the situation? Do you know what I mean? Like when he gave over the message of Hitzit, the Torah tells us he did everything that Hashem told him to do that he had to have been doing whatever he was told to do. And part of what he was told to do was build this boat so people should see and ask questions and, and, and have a conversation. Could he have taken initiative? Absolutely. Did he? It doesn't look like it. Was he a terrible speaker? Probably. Could it have still had an impact? Per- and perhaps this is the, you know, it's not a question of blaming the people, but the place of where we do sort of blame Noah a little bit perhaps is like, where was your passion? Where was your, A, why didn't you not argue with Hashem, but even when you were telling people like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. This, this is going down, people. Like, believe me, believe me. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna, God's gonna destroy the world and you're all gonna die. Like, do you ever go to like any of these, I'm from New York originally and there's always interesting people on, on you know, soap, uh, you know, cartons, you know, screaming that the end of the world is nigh, right? You have passion. You're like, you're like, Talk about it like as if you you cared, not just like yeah, it's going down, it's going down, like you know. It almost feels like there's like a chabadnik who's trying to build these films, <laughs> and then it's like there's a difference between a chabadnik who's coming and is like telling you, like uh, we're told we have to do the film, but like really I don't really believe it, I don't really think it's anything. But like do you want to do it? The person isn't as convinced to do it. They don't understand the whole truth. But if the shliach is like. This is to fill in. Hashem told us to do it, and like this is what it means. I believe in it. Then they're getting the full truth, and then the person's like properly informed. Right. It almost feels like that's the difference. Correct. Like, the passion. The passion yeah. wasn't there. And the connection to like the truth to convey. I, don't know. I think. I think that the. I think. Let's let's pause Noah for a second and, and look at ourselves. There are things that we do, because God told us to do it, and we do them. <coughs> we don't like. Do them. We like do them, you know. And then there's things that we just we really like. We're excited about, and we have passion for, and like we're into. There's no way to compare how we do those and how we do those. Now, at the end of the day, in the action part of our conversation, did we do what we were supposed to do? Yeah, we did it. But like, did we live it? Was it exciting? Was it something that you know? One of the things they, they talk about, there's, it's like one of these weird expressions in Chassid, I don't remember the exact expression, but like, you should be moist enough to wet somebody else. Like, you know, like, <laughs> right? You should be, what? This is like, actually. No one likes to be moist. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Right, I'm saying, say, like, but what in Yiddish it sounds better, but, but the place of, am I passionate enough to ignite your fire? That's, that's like the, a, a better translation of it. If I'm just doing it because I'm going through the motions, if my Shabbos is just like, there's a list a mile long of things I can't do. Like, how is anybody going to be excited about doing that? Now, can you say I'm not keeping Shabbos? I am keeping Shabbos. I am doing Shabbos. But am I living Shabbos? Am I passionate about Shabbos? Will the next person say, oh my gosh, what an amazing thing. I'm going to do Shabbos also. Like, no. And, and that's part of what's going on that was missing over here in, in, in the Noah conversation. Um, and yet, and yet, God himself calls Noah a tzaddik. And we can't take that away from him. And Noah, at the end of the day, built a boat that repopulated the world. It had the seeds for regeneration. And we could fault him for not doing more. But we have to at least acknowledge what he did do. And one of the things that Hasidus talks a lot about is, is the fact that he created a space. And you're learning this in the Mayim, I believe you're learning, you're learning Mayim Rabin with, with Esther now? Yeah. Right? That is the space of the ark. The ark in our life is this place of sanity and calm and holiness. And it doesn't matter what's going on around, but can we create that space? Can we create that ark that's what it's about. Do it better, do it worse, learn from Noah how to do it, you know, how not to, you know, the parts that we don't particularly want to take from Noah for the Sababa. But, but we need to build an ark. We need to create that space of holiness and, and protection that doesn't only take care of ourselves, but it takes care of other people, it takes care of the animal kingdom, it takes care of the vegetation, it, it, looks at the world and says, you are my responsibility to a greater or lesser degree, depending on who we are and what we're able to do. To just say, I'm okay, not enough. It's not enough. So, the, you know, there's a very famous statement from the Baal Shem Tov, that a teva isn't only an ark, a teva is a word, and to, we should come into the words of Torah, we should come to the words of davening, and the first thing that we do when we wake up in the morning, when we remember, is we say modani. The first thing we do is we start stepping into the words. We start stepping into the words of holiness. And what we need to do to create a space for ourselves that can then be expanded is to say, what does my table, what is my box, what is my words, my box of words look like? How do I go into that space? How do I go into my prayer First thing, or after I brush my teeth and have coffee or whatever, obviously I'm not. But how do I car how do I understand the importance of carving out that space of sanity and sanctuary? Because that's gonna get that's gonna help me flow through everything else that's going on, through the day, through the years, through the thing. That's what's gonna if I start that habit of stepping into the teva, of coming into the box, of coming into this place of the words of Torah, of tefillah, if I understand that that's why I need to start my day, then that's going to make a vast difference in my, in my whole life because as much as we have to do, and that's one of the reasons that Noah has to build an ark. We can't just say, God save me. Like, it doesn't work like that. You have to do something, even if your action isn't going to be enough. All the work that Noah did to make that teva still wasn't enough 
to keep that ark afloat for as long as it had to be. Hashem had to cradle it. It would never have survived. It just wouldn't have. It never would have. The forces of, the natural forces for sure would have mushed it. Something, yeah, and some not nice thing would have happened to it, right? How did it come out whole and complete and everything was perfect? Because God was helping. But we have to do our part. We have to say, what is my first step in creating that ark? What is... What am I doing to start creating that space that will then be able to encompass others, people, animals, vegetation, everything else that's going to come into my space? I am the captain of that ship. I need to, and the way I'm going to do it, according to the Balshanta, is we start with the words. We, we step into the words of Torah and Tefillah. That's how we start to create that space. Um, I, I want to. We're doing pretty good for time. <laughs> I want to, one more thing. Noah goes into the ark. Hashem says, Boel HaTeva, go into the ark. And then he, when it's time after, then basically what's going to happen, we're going to have the whole, we're going to have the stormy waters, we're going to have the, we're going to have the water, we're going to have the stormy waters, then we're going to have 150 days of the water just kind of going down. We have Noah sending out the raven and the dove and blah, blah, blah. And when they finally, everything is dry and ready, Hashem says, Go out of the ark. Right? So you'd think they were stuck in the box for a year. Because on our, on our calendar it says, it only looks like a seven, like a, from the 17th to the 27th, but it was like a year. It was a complete year. So I was going to say a complete calendar year, and then I was like, isn't actually actual truth because the, the measures tells us that the solar, none of the planets were in effect that year. Nothing moved. So like where everything, where anything, Wherever anything was placed when the marble started, that's where it was when the marble ended. That would be awful. Is that Groundhog Day? <laughs> well, they're inside. They only, they, it does make a difference to them. They have to have their own internal stuff. But as far as how do we count time, do we count that year or do we not count that year is a very interesting question. I am not, I don't know what the end of the conversation is. I just know that was, that was a question. But, so it wasn't a count, but it was a full year that they were actually in the ark. You think... Get me out of here. As soon as you can get out, everybody wants to leave. And yet Hashem has to tell them, same in Ateva, and that's where, you know, one of the things Hasidus talks about. If you were living in a place of perfection and no competition and no jealousy and no anger and everything was good and you knew that the second we step out of this goes back to what it was, how quickly do you want to run out? How quickly do you want to go out and go back to the rat race and the competition and the whole shebang? Like, it's not super tempting. And there's a place where Hashem had to say, go, go out. The point is not to stay here. The point is to take this trace memory, because clearly we weren't in the ark personally, but we have the trace memory of that space and look and work towards having, that, having the world be like that. Again, it's going to take time. And clearly we're a couple of thousand years later and hopefully we're at the end of the story and it's, you know, we'll be able to see it. But the, the place of... Not wanting to leave, it was such a good place. But Hashem's like, say, go out. It's, you're supposed to leave. You're, supposed to, you're not supposed to stay in this space. You're supposed to move out. So I want to say that the Boal HaTeva and the Tzemen HaTeva go into the ark and come out of the ark are brackets for us. For us. There's a time where we have to say, go into the ark. Go into that space where I don't have to worry about pesky things like, 
making dinner or paying bills or whatever. And all you have to do is like sit and absorb and learn. That's all you have to do. But at the end of that time, whatever that time is, say, you actually need to get out. You need to go out and make it. You need to take what you had in that time and to now make a difference in the world. Whether we talk about the time we get to learn or even if we talk about it on a daily basis, that teva, that space of davening and clarity that pulls it all together for me, that's not where we're meant to stay. We're not meant to stay totally out and we're not meant to stay totally in. It's, it's, it's a bracket that we need to kind of work together. So I want to give us such a big bracha that we currently, we're in a place of bow. We're in, we're in a version of a teva. I don't know that everybody in the ark liked everything they were eating all the time, but they figured this is what we have, so they were doing it. They weren't worrying about other things. They were doing their thing, and we have a place, we have a time to really be absorbed in learning, and there's going to come a time, and I'm not pushing anybody out, not, not yet, um, where we're going to have to go out and start making a difference in the world based on what we've gained and learned over here. So to, to hold those brackets and to appreciate the space that you're in when you're there and to be able to really absorb and to, and to step out of it into a beautiful space and say, I, make it, I, will, I have a voice that will make a difference. I have knowledge because I've learned. And when I put it all together, please God will be able to come to a place of, you know, really a Mashiach space that's going to just hold and not have to go back to the place of competition and anger and jealousy and all that situation. One story that we didn't get into, and we're not going to get into because we have two minutes and we just stop here, is the story when Noah gets out of the... Noah gets two things I do want to talk about. One thing and one thing I don't talk about. Noah gets out of the ark. Hashem says, we're never doing that again. Um, and what's the sign? Rainbow. Rainbow. So I want to talk about the rainbow for a second. But after that, we have the situation where Noah plants a vineyard and gets drunk and his... Uh, and I don't want to get into that right now. Huh? <laughs> No, it, whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a different conversation. We, in two minutes, we're not going to do it justice. But I want to say one thing about a rainbow, which sort of falls in line with kind of what we were talking about. Um, there's a conversation amongst the commentaries. Was the rainbow a new creation or not? And, and many, many of the commentaries line up with the fact that pre-flood, pre-flood, the atmosphere... What makes a rainbow? Light and light. Right? Light refracting off the rain. That, there, that the atmosphere was too opaque and it only absorbed anything and it didn't refract back. There was no way to, to get back. And the pre-flood reality for people was they were able to receive from Hashem, but they were not able to refract it back. They were not able to be innovative. They were not able to give anything of their own. They were able to receive incredible, incredible, we see, look at their lives, look at their, they, they lived hundreds of years, they, but they weren't innovative. They couldn't do anything on their own. They were able to receive from Hashem. The second they turn and they don't receive any longer, Hashem's like, there's, nothing, there's no way to fix that. There's no way to fix that. So what happens after the flood, and Hasidus talks about the idea that the 40 days of rain is like putting the whole world into the mikvah. You've heard this analogy many times. After the flood where the whole world is transformed and refined, not only does the physical atmosphere change and thin, so it's able to now refract, but spiritually we are able to receive from Hashem 
and also be innovative and also be able to give it back and to, and to, to reflect it to others. And so that's like a one little thing. I used to love rainbows. So I was like, oh my God, you're like, Hashem wants to destroy the world. And I, don't know. I, I don't know what that means because you literally see rainbows all over the place. So somebody said like, is it possible that anytime Hashem, anytime Hashem wants to destroy something, not necessarily the whole world, you would see that. And one of the things about, one of the things about we know about the world today is nothing's ever truly destroyed. Everything gets conservation of energy and, and matter and everything sort of cycles into something else. The death of thing becomes the life of something else. That didn't happen to the marble. In the marble, it was just like, it was destroyed, it wasn't reused and that was it. But now something is going down, but maybe something else is being born now because that's, that's the post-marble world. So I want to give us a bracha that that we find the peace that we need in order to build a teva. We find our voice in order to speak up loud, to be able, or as loud as we want to get, um, to be able to share in a, in a good way. Because, you know, some of, the, some of the commentaries talk about the idea that Noah was just righteous, but he wasn't actually, he was telling all the people all the things that they were doing wrong, as opposed to Abraham, who was giving them food and shelter, and then also taught them about Hashem. <laughs> so, like, how to, how, to, how to make friends and influence people. So I want to give us a bracha that really that we understand that we make a difference and that no, any one person, we see it today so clearly, but this is really the, the lesson of Noah, that one person makes a tremendous, tremendous difference. Could he have done more? Yeah, could he have, whatever. But that one person is actually able to make a world-changing difference and that we could be that one person. Have an awesome rest of the day. Make a good job. Reminder for everybody that...